everyone, this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, come back to you with another video. And in this video, I have Adrian Brown Norman. Welcome. <laughs> so um, just give a little 30 second intro about your who you are, your career, whatever. Yes. Oh, well, I'm Adrian. I work for Disney, Disney Publishing. Um, I've been with Disney Publishing for 28 years as an illustrator, um, manager, and um, but I've been an artist all my life. Um, I've done everything from paintings and portraits to theme park work and designing theme parks in Japan. And um, so I'm just, uh, I'm a little bit of everything. So, and I've been- Renaissance woman. <laughs> pretty much, and for over, over 40 years, nice. easily, so. So first question, where are you from and how was it growing up? Well, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, interesting place to grow up. It was not, um, uh, uh, there is a black community. People always say, oh, there are black people in Omaha. Yes, <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> There's quite a few. Interesting way of growing up. Um, as an artist, I had a very creative family. So thankfully, my family was very encouraging for me as an mm -hmm. artist. But outside of my family, not so much. Mm. Um, in Omaha in the 1970s, I was not encouraged to be an artist, even though I was really, really good and mm -hmm. had excellent teachers. So I, I have a little story about that. But um, yeah, it was interesting as an artist growing up. Um, is that the story about how you wanted to go to the Art Institute in Chicago? Yes. How did you hear that story? Someone I didn't, well, I've met you and Floyd when, oh, you, okay. uh, when you all came to New Orleans for Essence Festival for his film. Oh, I met okay. you all then. Okay. Um, but I got it. Somebody said it on Twitter. So <laughs> that's, well, I haven't heard the story. So you well, can tell I, it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. I, I was taking two art classes a day and uh, I had an excellent teacher, a woman named Miss, Miss, Miss Lure. And uh, she suggested that I... Uh, try to get a scholarship to go to Chicago Art Institute. And, um, and uh, so she helped me prepare my portfolio to talk to my counselor. And my counselor um, was uh, less than happy. Matter of fact, he didn't even look at my portfolio. Mm -hmm. And he told me that I was black and, and female, and that I would never make it as an artist. And he was gonna do me a favor and not sign the papers and not recommend me. And uh, that, you know, I should take a course in secretarial and become a whatever. And, so I told him to kiss my black ass. <laughs> Seventeen, I imagine, and and uh, and I and I got up and I and I walked out. And mm -hmm. um, I wanted to to quit school, and my mom said, "Well, don't do that." Mm -hmm. But I did eventually. I just didn't care anymore, and and uh, I never went to art school. I um, my art school is me drawing every day and going to museums and galleries and getting books at the library and. And uh, I basically taught myself, although my art teacher was an excellent teacher. So a lot mm -hmm. of my good basics I did get in school, in my high school, and junior high school. So, um, so I did have good basics. And then yeah. I took that and, and expanded on it. But the thing was, was that I, I knew I was good. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I just, I was just so upset that he didn't even want to look at my, at my work. He was so dismissive of me. Yeah, it really me off. So, yeah. so what would um, what were some of your best childhood memories? <laughs> um, my my family, my mm -hmm. family is uh, is very interesting. My father was a musician. My mom was a musician, and 
there's five five siblings. One my my brother passed away this um, this summer, but mm-hmm. we were all either musicians or artists or both. And so my family was extremely creative, but very poor. So a lot of times we drew and listened to music to keep forget about being hungry. Um, yeah. It was a lot of hard time. My mom was very ill. So my happiest times would, would be the time spent my my brothers and my sister um, just being creative. We were we were very, very close knit. And mm-hmm. we still are. Do you have any like traditions from childhood that you remember that y'all had? Or not really. Um, my father was very different. And he um, he raised us in an unusual way. I think we were like an experiment for him. <laughs> um, no, I think so. I think he tried to keep us. He kept us from a lot of other kids for a bit. So that's why the five of us were very, um, you know, together. And uh, we were just different. And he he always taught us to, to to look at things a certain way. He was a really angry black man. And so mm-hmm. he, he was very, um, you know, like a like an activist and all that. But he also taught us to not be afraid mm-hmm. of anyone, white people especially. And he said, you know, the whole world is yours. You can do whatever you want in this world. You know there'll be people who won't let you. That doesn't really count. You do what you have to do, what you want to do. And don't ever be afraid of white people. That was something he really made us understand. So to this day, I've never been afraid of white people, which is probably why I have so many white friends, because I don't look at them. I'm not like, oh, what do you want? What are you after? I'm just like, well, if you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. Mm-hmm. And I got that from my dad. And we just raised in a very creative culture and books, music, art. Um, he, we, we had, we had, I will say one thing, my, my father had a book list mm-hmm. and we had to read certain books by a certain age and leave the books in our house. This is outside of, you know, yeah. school. And we had to read certain books by the time we were certain ages. And, and then my mother was a reader. She had mm-hmm. lost her hearing. So reading kind of helped her with her equilibrium. And mm-hmm. as a family, we would go to the library every week. Every Wednesday, we would go as a family to the library. And my mom and dad would be in the adult section. We would be in the kids section. And every now and then I'd wander out to the adult section because the kids' books were boring. And uh, <laughs> I, I was tired of those and I wanted something a little more interesting. So it was a, it was a great way to grow up in, in that regard. Yeah, I have moments in my 20s where I was like looking back at my childhood, like, why was I reading Native Son in middle school? (laughs) And it's because my father gave it to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my dad, his thing was we had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, Mm -hmm. had to read Julius Caesar. And my my dad's favorite book was um, Red Expectations. Mm-hmm. And uh, he loved he loved Dickens, and so for some reason that was on his list. But the main thing was that he wanted us to read everything. Mm-hmm. He said, you, "If you have a question, if you if you want to know about something, read about it, find out, go and look it up." And um, we were never discouraged from doing anything in that regard. So, um, and and I remember my grandmother during as the sixties, she would send. Um, Articles about you know things happening to black people you know and that there was still lynchings we knew about that and my 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 parents my friends parents were like you you guys are too young to know those things and my dad said no you need to know this now in some ways I wish he hadn't told me when mm-hmm. I was six years old that some guy just got lynched in Mississippi I mean as a little kid that terrified me but my father felt that we needed to know so we could navigate yeah. in the world you know. Right. 
So it was a very unusual upbringing and it made my sisters and brothers very unusual. <laughs> we, were, we were really kind of um, nerdy and weird and odd and we still are as old people in our 60s. We're still very different. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of weird. And I and now I'm, I I like it. But when I was a teenager, I wanted to fit in a little more. Yeah. And that didn't that didn't help. So I became a Black Panther. That helped a little bit. So. so yeah, that. I will be asking you about that. So, um, what <laughs> was your personal um, journey in art from like? How early did you start drawing? Like what what kind of through childhood? What was your personal well, art journey? I can't remember not drawing. So that's the answer to that. I I knew from the time I was three, four years old that I felt I felt good doing what I was doing. And mm-hmm. I remember my one of my first memories when I was in, in kindergarten, um, was I didn't talk much. You have to go back. My mother lost her hearing when I was two. So okay. I was just starting to talk and I think I felt that since she couldn't hear me, why should I talk? So I developed a stutter. And mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed by that stutter that I wouldn't talk at all. Mm-hmm. So when I got to kindergarten, they, they they thought, you know, something might be, you know, I might be on the spectrum or something like that. So one day I was painting in the class and uh, as most kids were painting stick figures, I was drawing fully formed figures with mm-hmm. flesh. Because that's how we look. We're not sticks. We have flesh. So anyway, <laughs> I was doing that. And they and I went to an all-white school. My family was the only black family in this school in, in uh, South Omaha. Mm-hmm. And they went and got the principal and some other white people. And they came to the classroom. And they looked at me. And they were like, oh, she must be autistic. She must be like some idiot savant or something like that. So because I was painting, but I didn't talk. Mm-hmm. So they thought there was something not quite right. So they tested me a little bit here and there and found out that no, nothing was, you know, whatever. I just didn't talk and I was an artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know, what do you want from me? You know? <laughs> but but I kept, uh, I just love to draw. I, um, I just felt, it just felt natural. And I yeah. saw things that other kids didn't see. When I looked at trees, when I looked at the, the lighting and color, it all just spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so there was never a time that I didn't want to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Never, never a time. So it was embedded in me. And in my family, it was encouraged. So I, we didn't have paper a lot. So my dad would go get newspapers and we would color on newspapers and old cardboard boxes and mm-hmm. we'd make things and stuff. So I was encouraged. And my brothers and sisters were also artists as well. So we're all drawing together. Yeah. Yeah, I had my mom send me my kindergarten progress report because I also didn't talk. <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> artists don't talk. They don't talk until much, much later in life. <laughs> but I also did like later in life I did Toastmasters and at one meeting I won best speaker. So I wanted to juxtapose the she doesn't talk to like best speaker. <laughs> there you go. Well see that's what I I, I took drama class. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to be an actress, but um, my my stuttering was always something that I was very uncomfortable about, and I still stutter when I get upset or if I get nervous. Mm-hmm. But um, that helped me to learn how to to slow down, and and you know get control of what my mouth is saying. There's still certain words that I have a hard time saying if I'm 
talking real fast. And funny thing is both Floyd and I stutter. Mm. Um, and it's unusual for girls to stutter. I found that out. They usually guys stutter. And it was unusual okay. that, that little girl stutter. So I don't know what that was all about. But um, but uh, it was something that, that uh, I, I didn't like. And I found that the, the drama class helped me to learn how to slow down. You know, although I didn't want to be an actress, that wasn't my goal. I wanted to yeah. do set design. That's why I got in. Oh, nice. So there you go. Um, so you mentioned this already. At one point you were a Black Panther. Um, what is the importance of activism and advocacy in your life? Well, for us, my both my parents were. My father mm -hmm. was passionate. And uh, interesting side note to that, my father was very, very light. I mean, he could have passed. And mm -hmm. a lot of white people just assumed he was white. And there's a story about that. But he was about the most proud black man, the angriest <laughs> black man I think I've ever met in my <laughs> life. I mean, I have so many stories about my dad. But he was very proud. He, he campaigned for, for Robert Kennedy. Um, he wanted to go to Selma for, to, to do the march. But then my mother got sick, and he didn't get a chance to go. Mm -hmm. And so he impressed upon us the importance of being being aware of what's going on around you and, and, and being responsible for what's going on around you. You, know, you don't just sit back and, and let other people do whatever. So when Martin Luther King, and Bobby Kennedy, Malcolm X, when they all got assassinated, um, my family, my sister and my brothers, we just it just kind of sparked us. And mm -hmm. the Panthers were in Omaha and my sister became a Panther because she was old enough. You had to mm -hmm. be 18 to join. So I was a junior panther. They called me junior panther. So what I did was I sold panther papers mm -hmm. and I would hang out at the headquarters and I would go to the meetings and stuff. But I couldn't be official until I turned 18. So I was about 16 when I did. But I sold papers at my all-white high school. Which <laughs> was uh, interesting because they would just look at me like, what's wrong with you? And we would do these talent shows and we would do the last poets. We would we would quote the last poet, we would do their poetry. I remember we did a talent show at my junior high school and we did one of the I think we did the the last poet poem uh in 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 die or something like that or something like mm -hmm. that. A good poem. And the black people, the white people, everybody's like, Why? Why are you doing that? <laughs> And we're like, this is a message. You need to hear this. <laughs> you need to listen to this. And we had our afro, we had our dashikis and mm -hmm. karate. So I could, you know, we were getting ready for the revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was something that I, I took seriously. And it wasn't that I hated white people because that wasn't it. Mm -hmm. What I didn't like was how people were being treated. Right. Eventually, the Panthers, the look of it was, we need to help all oppressed people. Anyone mm -hmm. that's that's under the thumb of someone, you know, that was something that was understood. But we yeah. were first. We had to deal with us first, and then mm -hmm. we could, you know, expand. And I eventually kind of grew out of that. But mm -hmm. but the basic tenets of it, I still believe. Right. That people who are hurt, people who are abused, oppressed. There's, you know, you can't just stand there and and watch that. You have to, you know, do what you can. You know. Yeah. And so that I got to, I got that from my from my from my father and from my mm -hmm. mother. And uh, when I moved to Florida, I remember my the boss, <laughs> my boss of my company I worked for was a KKK. Mm. I found that out because I heard him on the phone, you know. And uh, this was funny because I was 21. I was working there at this sign company, and his name was JJ. And one day we were talking, and, and I and I said to him, Well, you know, I used to be a Black Panther. He like <laughs> he stopped and he just kind of looked at me. 
And, uh, and he said, well, why would you do that? And I said, well, do you really want to know? Well, yeah, why would you do that? And I said, let's, we talked. Mm-hmm. And I told him. I told him about, you know, black people in America and why. You know. And it was funny. He looked at me like I, I never thought of it that way. Now, I don't know if he stopped being a Klan's member. Who knows? You know, I'm sure mm-hmm. he kept on wearing his robe, you know. But mm-hmm. I, that moment, maybe something that he had never thought of. Right. Maybe something in his head. Who knows? He's probably dead now because he was pretty old then. But <laughs> but my my thing was that I wasn't afraid to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And that I got from my parents. Yeah. Because most people would have been like, oh, well, we need to stay away from that guy. Because no, but something told me, you know what? I need to say to him this. Mm-hmm. So he can digest what I just said. Right. And we can talk about it if you like. If you don't want to, that's your problem. But I'm I'm right here. And I was mm-hmm. only 21. I literally was 21 years old. Yeah. I had just moved to Florida. So I was an idiot. Because he could have <laughs> easily, you know, done something to hurt me. But, you know, when you're young, you feel, you know, no one can hurt me. I'm on top of the world. So there you go. So. Yeah. Um, sometimes, like, in my generation of being in the animation industry, I kind of feel sometimes like I'm different because like when I was in New Orleans, living in New Orleans, I would, um, I've been involved in the Urban League movement for the past 10 years. And so before I moved to LA last year, I was the president of my local chapter. And so it was like, I will be at um, this company called Turbo Squid and it's like a bunch of like nerdy animation people. And then on Thursday, like the third Thursday of the month, I'll be in my like dress or my slacks. And they, every third Thursday, are you going to an interview? Like, no, I'm going to my meeting. It's the, it's the young professionals. I'm trying to look professional. We get to wear t-shirts at your work. I don't want to show up in a t-shirt. That's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like having that dichotomy of like being in an art industry, but also like being in the civil rights <laughs> vein where yeah. you're like trying to help people and educate people and stuff yeah. is like really interesting. Well, I think if you have to do, you know, you find how your life works out. I found that um, where my life has gone is that when Floyd and I do things, especially when the movie came out, <clears throat> we would find ourselves in different towns and cities with people from all walks of life. And we ended up becoming like kind of like spokespeople, even though we weren't <laughs> trying to be. Um, yeah. And people were listening to what Floyd obviously had to say. And then I would be on stage with him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do it on purpose because I, I, I think people have a misconception about Floyd. And, and I felt like um, I need to sit here and help you get the full picture of who Floyd Norman is. Not who yeah. he is, but who Floyd Norman is. Yeah. And and so don't think he's something else that he's not. So so I thought mm-hmm. that was my duty. And we did it all over the country talking yeah. to people. So I think that that's become my uh my crusade, I guess. So you <laughs> know, I ended up with a platform that I did not ask for. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you presented with a challenge, you you accept it and you go with it. So So can you tell the story, the white passing story you thought of about your father? Oh, my goodness. My well, my father was trying to buy a house. And this would have been before the civil rights movement. This would have mm-hmm. been about 1961, 62, because I was about six, no, I'm about six or seven years old. So 63, something like that. Anyway, he had bought a house. Well, he had almost bought a house. and But they had not met my mother or us kids. Mm-hmm. And so my father had gotten all the way through to escrow. And he decided, now I'm going to bring 
the family out so they can see the house. And my mother was very, very dark. I think my dad went out of his way to get the darkest woman <laughs> possibly get. There she is. That's the woman I'm going to marry, which is the whole colorism story with his mother who didn't want him to marry a dark-skinned woman. She wanted him to mm -hmm. marry someone light to keep the light going, mm -hmm. they say, you know. She was a trip. But anyway, he met my mother, who was an amazing human being, and I can see why he fell in love with her. So he packs us into the car, and we go see the house, and this little white male, never forget, he, he comes out, and we're in the car, and he looks at the car, and he sees my mom in the front seat, and he sees all of us kids sitting in various positions in the car, no seatbelts then. Mm -hmm. And he said to my father, you know, something has come up. And you know your your escrow, we can't we can't do the deal. You know the house you have to, the house has been denied. Whatever, however way he said it, because I was in the car, and I'll never forget the look on my father's face, because he did this to him in front of his wife and children, mm -hmm. and my father had done everything he could, and he was working hard to save the money to buy this house, and he was so angry, humiliated, pissed. I think he cussed the man out. My father was real good about that shit. I mean, he just, you know, he was just like, I think he called him, you know, like the MF, whatever. You no, know, you, you know, <clears throat> you know, and he gets in the yeah. And um, he didn't get the house. And in those days, he didn't have any recourse because the civil rights law had not been passed. And the redlining was real. Yeah. And the banking stuff was real. Mm -hmm. And once they found out that whether he was a white man or married to a black woman, whatever they thought it was, that would have kept him from getting the house. Yeah. They would have made sure he didn't get nothing he could really do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget that. And to this day, I, I can still see it. And uh, he was so upset. He got in the car and, you know, nothing we could do. And then mm -hmm. we never, I mean, he never got the house. He never bought a house. And uh, then he eventually, my mom and my dad, you know, they split. And he went, you know, whatever. But we always, we saw him as years went by. Mm -hmm. But that, that hurt him. You know, yeah. and so, but he, when he went to buy the house, he didn't say he wasn't black, but he knew you have to you have to navigate those waters. Yeah, and have no problem with that because there's no way he would have got it any other way. Mm -hmm. So, there you go. Um, can you uh, talk about? Uh, I know you had like a little time with the Black Panthers, but can you talk about some like misconceptions of the Black Panthers from lack of information or ignorance? Well. When I was in the Panthers, um, they were doing a lot of community stuff. I mean, they were mm -hmm. doing the breakfasts. They were mm -hmm. doing a lot of outreach, but they were also vocal. They were also saying, we're not going to let you, you know, do whatever. And I think what happened in Omaha, the worst thing was the, they set the Panthers up uh, to, to put them in prison. Our two leaders both, I think one died in prison a couple of years ago. Um, this white cop goes into a house and he gets blown up. Mm. They said that the Panthers um, planted the bomb, but there were people on that street, some old people that you know we knew and whatever, and they had told the cops, no, no, we saw some white guys going to that abandoned house a couple of days before to do whatever. And he said, no, and none of that ever came up at trial. No one, mm -hmm. they never did any investigation. So we know that it was a plant. We know what they did. Right. And Panthers ended up uh, they, they got broken up. And my sister, they would follow us, you know, everywhere we went, I'd go to school, they'd follow me to school. We'd come home and they'd shine lights into our, the cops shine lights into our house. Um, my sister, <laughs> she had all these rifles and guns they gave her, told her to put them in the attic, you know, and whatever. We were preparing for the revolution. 
Mm-hmm. We had gotten this other group, this black group that was telling us about the Rand McNally naps, maps and how, mm-hmm. how they could close off the freeways so that they would block by people in and you wouldn't be able to get out or get food in. And so that was something that the freeways were built for that reason. The whole system of freeways in America were built to control. Yeah. And must, that's kind of true. Some of it's, it wasn't t- particularly just to keep people in the neighborhood, but that is part of what they did. It is a way to block. If you remember mm-hmm. during the Rodney King, they were able to block off that whole area so yeah. you couldn't come in or go out because I lived in that area and I had to wait a day or so before I could come back home to my apartment. Mm-hmm. So we knew there were certain things, but 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 the Panthers were getting on the nerves of the, the local government and they wanted to stop them. And mm-hmm. that's all there was to it. And they did. Now, there were still other black groups. I got involved with Black Theater. Um, it's a wonderful group started by the Yuri family in Omaha that mm-hmm. did plays, um, Douglas Turner Ward and stuff like that. And and I loved it because we were learning all these things and there was all kinds of, I mean, there was so much more than it is today. It, it seems weird, you think there would be more today, but in the yeah. early seventies, there was there was so much community stuff. And I took, I took karate, I was learning how to, oh man, I'm looking back on it, I had, I had it was a great time. Mm-hmm. Well, my karate class, I loved it until my, my teacher started feeling on me, which was really annoying because I really mm-hmm. wanted to learn karate. And he right. from the ground and then he kind of went like this. I'm like, D- really? Right. It's so like, come on, I'm trying to learn how to do self-defense and here you are, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I love men, so I'm. it's just him. He's a jerk. Right. But I just remember then that time period, that black theater, the, the oh my God, it was such an amazing time to be alive and uh, mm-hmm. wish that we had it if it was like that way for young people today because what it did was it got you involved it got you thinking outside of yourself and thinking about not only your community but the world yeah and that's when i began to start looking beyond i started looking at the whole world there's there's there people are, are hurting for horrible reasons everywhere mm-hmm. and why is that you know and trying to figure out a way how can we make things better and here we are almost worse off than we were in the 1970s in some ways. So, but anyway, yeah. it's pretty bad. But continue on, I don't want to get depressed now. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. No, my, my eyes work, so. So um, can you go through some of the uh, projects that you've worked on in your career? I, um, there's like, I don't know if there's a site for illustration, but all I found was a kiss goodnight. I'm like, Where's a, where's a list? <laughs> well, there actually is no list. And I um, I have a Flickr page which has some of my artwork on it. But I I am not, um, how do I put it? Um, I, I'm an introverted social person. Mm-hmm. So I not don't really care if no one knows everything that I've done. If you, if you meet me and we talk about it, that's a different thing and I'll talk about it. But mm-hmm. it's not something that I think about. Yeah. Um, since I, being with Floyd, people have asked me more of that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, okay. But, um, but I, uh, I've been with Disney for 28 years. So I've done so many books for Disney. It is not funny. I don't even <laughs> remember how many books I've done that are, that are available. You can buy them, whatever. Mm-hmm. But before Disney, I worked on a theme park company for a place called Landmark Entertainment, which built two theme parks in Japan. Mm-hmm. Got to live in Japan for two years off and on. That mm-hmm. was an amazing experience. And uh, the park, the, the, the what we built is still standing. 
I've never seen it because once they opened it, they let us all go. So I never got to see mm. anything that I did, how it looks. So I have no idea. But um, I've been doing pastels. I discovered pastels when I was 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was looking for a, an art form that I could afford. And um, I was very poor. And so um, I started out doing watercolors and pen and ink because it was cheap. Yeah. Then someone gave me some chalks. No, they gave me oil pastels first. And I, those were okay, but you couldn't blend them right. Then I got my first pastels. I fell in love with the medium. It was like it answered all my questions because I'm, I'm an idiot. I don't want to have to wait. With oils, you got to wait for it to dry and you got to wait. And even yeah. acrylics, you got to wait. But acrylic color is not as rich as oils. But with pastels, it was the best of both worlds. Mm. And I just, I just started doing them. And it just felt like I had found my home. And yeah. I remember I was doing pastels in Florida, living there with my first husband. And I was in a little art show and I had my pastels. And I'll never forget this old white man came up to me and said, you're doing your pastels wrong. Now, I was about 21. And so when you're 21, you just like an old person and go like, well, you know, okay. He must know what he's saying. I don't know. And I didn't want to argue with him. But in my mind, I'm like, well, how the hell do you know whether it's the right way? This is how I want to do it. Who are you to tell me? that what I'm doing is wrong. Well, in his mind, Degas and Pissarro and all the Impressionists would do the, you know, very whatever style. Mm -hmm. Wasn't doing mine like that. My mm -hmm. my pastels were very detailed in a way that you don't expect pastels to be. Because mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. I don't know, what do you want from me? <laughs> Once again, I, I, I did that because I couldn't afford paints, but I'm mm -hmm. a very detail-oriented painter. Yeah. I just translated what I would have been doing in paint to my pastels. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's how I started doing them for you. I did portraits for years. Mm -hmm. I moved to California doing portraits on Venice Beach. Um, matter of fact, my, one of my favorite stories, I was doing portraits out there trying to make money. Me and my partner, we came out from Omaha, my friend Brian. And this guy came up to me and says, you want to be in a music video? And I was like, well, you know, I just moved here. I'd been here like a year. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You just kind of wonder, like, what kind of music? <laughs> yeah. And I know that we're in the porn capital of the world, so I don't know what he wants, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, sure, what are you talking about? He says, well, I have a video coming up. We want you to draw Frank Sinatra. And he went, Ooh. pretend like you're drawing Frank Sinatra on camera in his speech. And I said, sure. And he says, we'll pay you. And I, I happen to love Frank Sinatra. He's my favorite singer. <laughs> So I said, sure. So he gave me a picture of Frank Sinatra. Look, go home tonight, draw this, but don't finish it. Bring it back here and to the set on Venice, and then you pretend like you're drawing him. Well, I didn't meet Frank. Frank didn't show up, but mm -hmm. the director sat in a chair, and they, I pretended like I was drawing Frank, see the mm -hmm. back of the gray hair. And it was for a, um, a song called L.A. Is My Lady that Frank Sinatra did in 1984. Quincy Jones produced it. Nice. And, and I'll never forget, he said, look, well, thank you for that. He said, the craft services is over there. Grab yourself some food. Now, understand, my friend, I had just moved here. We were starving. <laughs> and we went over there. We packed up plates. <laughs> and we put foil on it. And we were like, oh, my God, food, food. <laughs> And then, and then Quincy Jones came out the trailer with Patty Austin, mm -hmm. and I met Quincy and stuff. And it was like, this is cool, but this is cooler that I got food. We got <laughs> right. food for the, you know, whatever. And uh, they paid me fifty bucks. 
to, to draw on. But I actually put my name and phone number on the back of the picture in case Frank saw it. I don't know if Frank ever saw it or not. Who knows what happened to the picture? I think the director kept the picture because it was pretty mm -hmm. good, actually. I wish he had gave it back to me if he didn't want it. But a couple of days later, no, about a month later, he called me and says, well, we decided not to use that segment. So I ended up on the cutting room floor, my first Hollywood experience. Uh, oh, man. You know, on the cutting room floor, no one will ever see me pretending to draw, you know, Frank Sinatra. They did do, when you, if you ever see the video, there's, it's about LA. It was about the time that the Olympics were going to be here. So they mm -hmm. were doing all this stuff showing LA. And he's saying, LA is my lady, you know, and then you see this big man. Anyway, it was a pretty cool experience. So being yeah. on Venice Beach was uh, was kind of nice because I was drawing people from all walks of life and mm -hmm. everybody came to Venice Beach back in those days. So it was um, quite an experience. So mm -hmm. that kind of kept me doing my pastels and stuff. But then I eventually, I had two shows, I had two art shows and that I brought Floyd to one when I first met him. Mm -hmm. I got tired of doing pastels. I, I got tired of doing them in about 2009. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a commission for someone. I ended up drawing it four times because it wasn't working. And I said, you know, I'm done. <laughs> and I didn't do pastels again until um, last year. I did some pastels at my, at my friend's house. And it felt pretty good. Yeah. And I was about to start doing it again. Then I went back to work. I was on furlough. And then did okay. it back. And I was like, well, okay, enough of that. So, but uh, I may go back because my friend's studio, um, he's a famous artist and his studio is almost done. And he says, well, if you want to come back and do some more, you can. So I have the space to do pastels. And, but Floyd would love it if I did pastels. So, so what medium do you use for your illustration for at work? Oh, digital. Okay. I am so digital, it's not even funny. And, and I'll explain that because I, um, I got into digital when I was working at a company called The Works, um, theme park company in Long Beach. And they were already into computers. This would have been 1991. And uh, I saw a friend of mine on the computer and he was playing around with this program. It was called Photoshop. We literally mm -hmm. had just come out, Photoshop. I don't even think it was a one yet. It was just Photoshop. And I said, what are you doing? What is that? He says, oh, this is Photoshop. He says, can you teach me how? He said, well, yeah, yeah. So I sat down and said, just remember Command Z. <laughs> pull the menu down and see what each menu does. And he said, that's it? I said, yeah. And I did. And the moment, and at the time he had a Wacom tablet and the Wacom tablet back then was like a desk that was this mm -hmm. big edge and the pen was a cord attached to it. So you, you, you took the pen up and you, you, you drew it like that. But the moment that the pen touched it and he said, you have to look at, look at the screen and then draw. And I was like, oh, and it just felt natural. Mm -hmm. It was never any, no no problem with that. It was like mm -hmm. me and the computer were meant to be together. So I've been on the computer for 30, for 30 years. Nice. Easily. And um, it's what I do every day and I love it. I, I have, and I don't have any problem with digital or traditional. It's like, for me, I look at the computer as a tool, as another mm -hmm. brother. And I'm, I'm really good at it. So there you go. But I was going to tell you that there's an addendum to the Quincy Jones thing. Okay. When I first met him, you know, and they saw me getting food, and I, he was just, he was so nice. You know, Patty. <laughs> and then a couple of years, about a year or so ago, I went to the AFCA Awards, uh, 
African-American Film Critics Association and they were honoring Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. And I met him again. Mm -hmm. And we, we hung around, to have, we always hung around because um, mm -hmm. we got a, an award from them a couple of years ago. And Quincy was holding court and we got a chance to go over there and talk to him, me and Floyd and our friend Jeff. And I told him how I met him on that, on that video. I said, you don't remember me. I said, but I met you on Venice Beach when you were doing the video for Frank Sinatra. Oh, Frank Sinatra. That's my man. You know, he gave me this ring and he started showing me this ring that Frank gave him. And we had a wonderful conversation about the, the making of that, 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 that uh, video and about mm -hmm. him and Frank. But it had come full circle kind of a thing that here I am and I'm meeting Quincy and now he's an old guy sitting there and I'm old. And so, but anyway, <laughs> it's one of those things that you, when you, when you live your life and little things that happen and, and the yeah. connection. So that was all. I just wanted to finish that story that I met him again, like however many years later, geez, how 30 years later. Nice. And I meet him again. So there you go. <laughs> so what do you feel like, um, was the biggest breakthrough in your career or did you have multiple breakthroughs? I'd say the biggest breakthrough, two breakthroughs, was getting hired at Landmark Entertainment because um, I was going through some really hard times, homeless for a bit. Mm -hmm. I was sleeping um, in my uh, my ex-boyfriend's father's den. And uh, that was interesting. <laughs> and so I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping there and I don't have a home. And, and I started going to this um, computer tech school, but that was to teach me how to do drafting. That had nothing mm -hmm. to do with what I eventually ended up doing. And uh, over, over, over by um, the Coliseum, and mm -hmm. uh, I was learning how to do drafting and stuff like that. And um, the only female in the class, the only woman in the class, and mm -hmm. my teacher knew this man from Landmark Entertainment, and he had called him and said, "Look, I'm looking for um, some draftsmen that maybe possibly might know how to draw." And my teacher said, wait a minute, I got the perfect person for you. And I hadn't even finished the course. I'd been there for like five months. Mm -hmm. And he says, you need to go see this guy, Wes Cook, and, and talk to him. And I go to see Wes, and he's the most wonderful man. Uh, he passed away some years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, you don't have anything in your portfolio. You, you're not, you don't have any drafting. You don't have anything architectural. I says, well, no, I've been an artist all my life, and I'm now learning this, but I, I don't you know, have it. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna give you a drawing that I did for this thing I did, and I want you to take it. Mm -hmm. So he gives it to me, and I was hungry. I think I had a tuna fish sandwich that day, that was it. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I copied it. I, I drew it just the way he did it, and I took it back to him. So, oh, I didn't mean the next day. No, you don't understand. I need to, whatever. So anyway, I came back, and he had the drawing, and he says, one moment. And he called in people, come here. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is going on here because mm -hmm. I'm nervous. So he brings in a friend who eventually became a friend, Barbara, Barbara, and someone else. And they were like, oh my. And they're all kind of <laughs> nodding and looking at me. And then they left. I don't know what's going on. And he hired me. Mm -hmm. he hired me and he said, you know, you don't, you have some drafting skills. I can see you because you're going to that class. I think you'll learn, but your artwork, you know how to draw. Mm -hmm. and all I have is I have architects who don't understand art. They're mm. architects, but they can't draw. And we were doing whimsical. This theme park was supposed to feel like Snow White and Seven. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And the architects didn't know how to do thatch. They didn't know how to do cute. They didn't know how to draw that way. And and I did. So mm -hmm. I got the job. The funny part was when they talked to me about my salary. I'll never forget because they said, "Well, look, you know, you don't have 
a lot of experience and stuff. So we're not going to be able to start you at where we would normally start someone. And I'm like, okay, you know, and uh, he says, so unfortunately we won't be able to start you at $15 an hour. Now understand I'm making $7 an hour at, at all my jobs. I'm making minimum wage, but I'm just sitting there going like, <laughs> he, said, he said, is that okay? And I, I left here almost like the movie happiness when Will, when Will yeah. Smith walks out and he just goes like this. That was me. Yeah, that was a, a breakthrough because it it kickstarted my career, and sent me to Japan, which mm -hmm. gave me a whole nother experience. But then it got me to the job at the works because of my theme park. By this time, I had experience, and I went to theme park design at the works, and mm -hmm. then I saw the computer, which was my second breakthrough because the computer brought me to Disney, mm -hmm. and that's where I met Floyd. And then my life just went down a whole path that. <laughs> If someone had told me that was the past, I never would have believed it. Mm -hmm. so, and for me, I, I never really had any goals. People always say, well, what were your goals in life? I only had a few goals. I had two goals. And I said, I wanted to be an artist and make enough money so that I could, could eat, because eating was a big deal with me from being mm -hmm. before. And then I wanted to, to find someone to love me and love them in return. That's yeah. all I ever wanted. I never wanted money, money like, you know, all that. I never wanted that. I just wanted to be an artist and make money doing it. So I don't have to do something else and 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 fall in love and be loved in return. It's all I ever wanted. That nice. is literally all I ever wanted in life. And mm -hmm. so, you know, people say, oh, you should have had more goals. No, no, no. You know, I, I think the goals I had were pretty good. And I yeah. think I've achieved them and I don't feel like I'm lacking. And I think the one thing I do talk about when I do my talk with Floyd is is about you know going to school and 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 nowadays so many kids oh I got to go to art school and 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 if you want to go to art school by all means go to art school mm -hmm. and you should if you can but I never did mm -hmm. and because of that when I get freelancers or someone who wants to work for me at Disney and then they'll be like oh well I, I don't I didn't go to, I have this and I don't care about your school let me see right. you. If you can't paint or draw like I need, I'm not going to hire you. I don't care what school you went to. Mm -hmm. and, and if you didn't, if you didn't go to school, I'm still saying, if you can do what I need you to do, that's really all I care about. Yeah. I don't care about anything else. So I do that because I was kind of told, well, you didn't go to art school and doors were shut because of that. And I uh, mm -hmm. so found that I would not never shut a door on anybody's face. Mm -hmm. It had the ability. So... That's my lesson that I learned through all that. So. Nice. So I got the opportunity to live in you know, South Korea for two years, and it kind of opened up my mind. So what did you learn from being able to go to Japan? Uh, I love Japan. The only thing I didn't like about Japan was the rain. They could, the rain was, um, I'm a sun person. I don't like rain. Mm -hmm. and, so the rain was depressing. And um, yeah. after a while, you start like, okay, enough. <laughs> Will there ever be a blue sky ever? I think I remember seeing blue sky maybe once or twice when mm -hmm. I was there. Because I was there in the winter and the spring, and then I would end up coming back home and then going back over there. But I found that I was told in my orientation that there would be racism. And they were mm -hmm. telling me, well, you're the first black person that we're sending over um, there, you know, from Landmark. And so we want you to be prepared for racism. I had to go to orientation where they taught me about Japanese, how they were going to treat me. And so I'm going over like, well, shit, you know, <laughs> gonna be, this is not going to be fun. And I get there and it was the exact 
opposite. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't experience any of that. Matter of fact, I, I felt like I was treated better than my white um, counterpart. I think they're the ones that got racism because <laughs> both people were remembering Pearl Harbor and they were like, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. And so they actually had things with Gaijin where they didn't want the Gaijin, you know, mm -hmm. put them in the back of the restaurant or they would, if you came to eat with a white person, they would give you your food then they would give you your ticket, your, your check real quick, like get out of this restaurant, you know, but if it was just me, Mm -hmm. There all day, and the woman would mm -hmm. me. They would, if I left my money on the counter, they would follow me. Oh, your money! You could get your money. You know, I, I, it was absolutely mind-boggling. I yeah. did not think it was going to be that way. The only thing was the kids and the skin. Mm -hmm. So I'd be on the train, and these little little Asian kids would come up, and they would, they would rub my skin to see. Yeah, to see if it come off. <laughs> now initially, it was cute. You know, I was like, okay, that's cute. I get it. I understand what's going on. But then after I'd been, I would be there three months at a time that I come home. After a couple, I was like, enough. I'd look at them like, and then they would run back to their parents and it would be like, don't, don't, don't really. I'm not like whatever, but, but I understood. Yeah. And then when I moved to Beppu, because the second park I worked on was on the island of Kyushu. So mm -hmm. really hadn't seen black people. In Tokyo, you'll see some black folks, but... When I moved to Beppu, oh my goodness, I was like the town curiosity. I mean, I think people would come out, oh my God, there's there's that black woman again. They would come mm -hmm. out, look at me. And, but you know what? It was an experience that I am so happy that I had. And uh, I don't have anything really negative, except that there weren't any men. <laughs> a couple of Asian guys, that maybe, and I'm 5'10". So, and I had to wear heels because you're in the office, you had to dress professionally, so to speak. So when I wear heels, I'm six feet, six one, depending mm -hmm. on the heels. So I'd be in the elevator and they'd be like, two meters, no, no, I am not two meters. <laughs> yes, really, stop it, you know. Or if I, if I go into a store to shop, too big, because the clothing was like size. Oh yeah, in Korea, if you, they'd be like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not happening. There's no nothing in here that could possibly fit you. So I ended up getting a lot of jewelry and watches and scarves. But I think I'll never forget. I was in the store in Beppo, and and uh, they were showing a Lakers game for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I remember I hadn't seen a black man in you know three months easily. And so I'll never forget that I just sat down and watched the game. I'm not a sports person. But I just sat there and I said, man, look at that. His brothers running up and down the court. They just looked so good. It was just like, oh my God. And here it goes again, there it goes. I don't even know who was playing, who was on the team. This would have been 1990, 89, 90. So I don't even know who was on the Lakers. I'm not a sport. They looked so good. And I was ready to come home. But uh, other than that, I mean, man, I just, I had a ball. And mm -hmm. I loved Japan. I have nothing negative to say about Japan. And it wasn't at all like they said it would be. So yeah. It was a very pleasant surprise, you know, so. Yeah, my, my second year in South Korea, I got the opportunity to work at an animation company, which I didn't do on purpose, but um, I was planning to stay there two years, but but I my first year I had taught English and I just was over it. Like as an introvert, like, you know, being stared at, I'm just like, I don't want the attention. Yeah. And, you know, people would be just like, oh, act like you're on a runway. I'm like, that's for people who like attention, though. Like, I can't yeah. act like I'm on a that's runway. That's not me, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, tall, black, 
big afro at the time. So there's multiple reasons to stare at me. And I'm like, I'm over it. I, I know I, I, I was originally planning on working at this company for like two years, but I, I'm at a year, I'm done. I'm going back home. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't have that problem. Thank God I wasn't teaching English. But a lot of people I knew did teach English in Japan. They would come mm -hmm. over and teach English. And, and I have some friends that met that way and stuff. But working at the theme park and uh, working for Sanrio, because it was Sanrio through Landmark, um, I met a lot of really great people in that, and mm -hmm. I absolutely loved my job. And I even got to meet um, Suji-san, who's like the Walt Disney of Japan, the man who started mm -hmm. Sanrio. And, he, and uh, we had come in and, and we were drawing things correctly and now they were building it correctly. And he came to the office, my friend and my Richard, we were drawing and they said, oh, you know, Suji-san. And, and I'll never forget he came in and we didn't know who he was because I don't know the culture mm -hmm. much. And, and I now I wish someone had told us. Yeah. You know, but he comes in and he does the 45 degree bow. And mm -hmm. the, the Japanese were like, oh my God. <laughs> because they know who he is, you know. And me and Richard are like, oh. <laughs> so we're bowing <laughs> and stuff. And, and he said, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for, 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 for saving, for helping us to, you know, because they were building it badly. They mm -hmm. were building it the way that it was drawn. Oh, yeah. And so if you don't know how, if, if you don't draw thatched roofs right or cute right, it, it gets built badly and yeah. so why we got hired and why we got sent to japan and mm -hmm. uh, and uh i loved it but i never got to see the park finished so there you go so that's one project and my second you asked me about projects and the other projects that i'm most proud of mm -hmm. that i worked on was at disney and it was on the fairies project mm -hmm. and um we got on fairies and we were on fairies for like seven years and the, the woman that that in, imagined the whole look of it. It's named um, Judith Judith Holmes Clark, and we kind of paired up. It, it became we became a team, and she and mm -hmm. I are as different as you can possibly get. But she would draw it, and I would say, "Well, Judy, what'd you have in mind?" So well, so and so, and then I would paint it in the computer, mm -hmm. and and we did all these books, and then the studio decided to make it into um, the, the the little movies and. I remember that the movies were getting made badly. They mm -hmm. weren't looking right. And um, um, John Lasseter said, you guys need to read this Pixie Hollow book. It was the book that we did that shows the whole fairy world. He gave mm -hmm. copies to everyone on that team. Mm -hmm. And they redesigned it and actually went back and looked at all of our chapter book stories. Mm -hmm. And they started to change it and make it feel more like the, the world that it should be. And I felt so proud of that. And because of that, John Lasseter had Judy and I do the end credits for the first Tinkerbell movie. Nice. So you watch the end credits and you'll see there's like a watercolor thing. And that's me and Judy. And uh, I, I just so love painting fairies because in the beginning, there was nothing to art direct to. It was just us, because there was mm -hmm. a movie. Unlike, most of the Disney come from something that you have yeah. to match, a movie or standard characters. But in the beginning, fairies was all publishing and it was stories. And we just got to do whatever was in our mind. We got to imagine fantastical worlds and Judy would mm -hmm. draw things and oh this is early morning and Tinkerbell is sitting on an oak leaf and she's and she's got a so-and-so and then I would just paint it in the computer. I was using painter and mm -hmm. Photoshop. And when you see those paintings, you people always think that I painted them traditionally and then I scanned it in. They mm -hmm. were all painted in the computer every last nice. one. And uh, that is a project to this day. I miss fairies, and I wish I could work on them again. But I know that they think that kids don't want to see that. So mm -hmm. now I'm in princess world. So my whole world is um, princess. Mm -hmm. 
but I love, but, but I love painting Tiana. Tiana is my favorite. And I don't like let anyone else paint the Tiana characters but me because mm -hmm. I, I, I just feel a connection to her. And mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to mess her up. You know? Right. So what we did was, and, and actually Disney has been very cognizant of the skin tone thing. So when I went on furlough um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, Disney furloughed, I'd say half the employees. And then I came back and the first thing I did was skin tones because Disney had said, we need to go back and fix stuff. And mm -hmm. the first thing I fixed was Jungle Book because Mowgli was like a little white boy. I saw there were mm -hmm. books done to Mowgli where he looked like he was like, you know, he had like light brown hair and his skin was pink. I'm like, what? You got the movie, who was painting it like this? You know, so anyway, so then we finally got around to the princesses and fixing Pocahontas and, and fixing uh, Mulan and Tiana. And uh, so now they are standard color, and this mm -hmm. is standard, and no one can go in and, and change that. I mean, who knows once if I'm gone, who knows what will happen. But for now, um, we have the colors as they should be, you right. know, for the uh, Arab, for Native American, whatever, for Moana. This is their skin color. Don't mm -hmm. make them lighter to sell right. books at Walmart, which is what was happening. Mm -hmm. you know, we we want to sell the books. We got to make them a little bit whatever. No, no, not anymore. Either you buy the book. Or you don't buy the book right yeah. so i have to give them credit for that but it was a lot of work because mm -hmm. i was seeing books that were done back in the 70s that had been digitized and they're saying you got to fix this but they're not in layers because they were painted traditionally and then scanned in mm -hmm. so but fix your skin color so yeah, i can do it it's just photoshop i can do anything in photoshop mm -hmm. it worked out that's how i met floyd so i don't know if you're going to ask me that but i was tell you that one so yeah Feel free. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the, the way I met Floyd was um, I had lost my job at the works, but I had gotten into computer and I and my friend at Disney said, you know, they may they may have use for that, you know. And so I came in to meet with this one man who was so dismissive mm -hmm. me and my work that he didn't even let me sit down. I will not say his name, mm -hmm. but he was very dismissive. But my friend said, look, there's another guy that you need to meet and through this other guy. I met a man named Gary Albright. This was mm -hmm. in December of 92. And Gary said, you know what? We're going to be doing our first digital book in April, and I'll give you a call. I'm like, yeah, right. Because in <laughs> December, I was starving. Again, I'm now, now I'm down to eating, you know, a bowl of rice and some, mm -hmm. I love seaweed from living in Japan. So mm -hmm. a bowl of rice, some seaweed and whatever. So I had gotten a strict <laughs> So April came and he called me, mm -hmm. came in, and he hired me as a freelancer. And he said, we're going to do our first digital book and we don't know what we're doing. And he said, can you help us out? And so I'll never forget. And I met Floyd. Mm -hmm. I said, well, show me what you got. You know, they were they were painting in bitmap. Do you know what, do you know what bitmap is? Yes, you know what bitmap is. So they were drawing in bitmap. So everything is pixelated. And they said, why is it like this? We can't we can't make the pixels go away. And so they saw me. I'm sitting there like, these are like all, they're all men. It's Floyd and a couple other guys that ended up being friends. I said, you idiots. And I think I do call them idiots. I can't remember now. But I, I said, look, let me show you. So I go onto their computer, which was a Quadra 900 at the time, Mac Quadra 900. And I said, look, you turn it to millions of colors and you turn it to grayscale, uh -huh. whatever. And then when they said, oh my God, it's gone, the pixels are gone. So they started calling me the Photoshop lady. And they started having these pics and stuff. Well, can you make, why does it do this? Oh my God. 
look, go into this thing and then you turn this. And so they said, well, she's a godsend. So I came <laughs> and I helped them finish their first book. And I met Floyd and mm -hmm. everyone else that is still friends with me after 28 years. And, and the thing about Floyd, because I was starving, oh, so cute. They put me in his office. He was supposed to be sick that day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a computer yet to work on. He says, well, just go in this office over here and work on this computer and we'll get you another computer, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went into his office and there was all this stuff. And you couldn't tell who lived there because he had pictures of everybody, all colors. Mm -hmm. So you really couldn't say, were those his kids? Because there's some other kids over here. They could have been white kids, but there's some. You could not tell who was in this office. And he came in. He came in. He wasn't supposed to. He came in. And he saw me sitting there at his computer, and, and uh, I said, would you want me to get up and leave? And he said, no, no, I'll just sit right here. And he sat down, and uh, we ended up talking the whole day. Mm -hmm. He literally never stopped talking, and we've been talking ever since. Mm -hmm. uh, the first book came out, and uh, they, they kept me on and uh, as a freelancer. I freelanced for Disney for 10 years before I got hired. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I didn't want to get hired, but I kind of got in a weird position where I kind of had to mm -hmm. take the job that was offered to me, but I didn't want it. My friend tricked me and told me that if I didn't take the job, he's going to hire this other person that I couldn't stand. And I, I'm going to have to answer to them. And he knew that. that. And so, and even today, we talk about that. Yeah, I, I knew. I knew I lied to you, since, but I couldn't figure out another way to get you in there. So, so I said, okay, I'll take the job. And so I've been with Disney for 18 years as an employee. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I came on to Disney in, in, 90, in 93, and I met Floyd, and, and the two of us just clicked. Mm -hmm. and, um, it changed my life. I, 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 everyone has that fork in the road that you can actually see where the, yeah. where the world goes that way and that way. When I met Floyd, that completely and utterly changed my life. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what I would be doing now if I, who I would be, what would have happened if I hadn't met him. And then right. we just planned, you know, that he would, we would just grow old and, you know, you know, see his kids, grandkids, and, and that would be it. And then all of a sudden, he becomes a Disney legend. <laughs> and we're like, okay, where did that come from? And then he turns around and then this, this kid comes from New York and says, hey, I want to make a movie about Floyd. And we're like, why? <laughs> well, it's so cool. We got to make a movie about Floyd. And he says, well, go ahead. You know, and I mm -hmm. thought it was gonna be like a student film. I had no idea that he had what he had, what the two of them had in mind for this movie. Mm -hmm. And that changed our lives to the next level. And none of that was ever expected from me. We thought we were just gonna, you know, just fade into the, into the, into the sunset, so to speak. But um, mm -hmm. totally changed my life. It completely, utterly changed my life. Now you're talking to me because of that. You know, I, that's, the, that's the reason why you're talking to me. So mm -hmm. it's, been, it's been amazing. And the documentary, um, which is about Floyd, mm -hmm. but I'm all through it. So people see me in there and they're like, well, well, who is that lady? And then, you know, <laughs> I will say that's funny though, is that people, when they meet me, if they never saw the documentary and they meet me, I think they're always surprised. Mm -hmm. I think they look at Floyd 
who's this older man and you know, he's probably married to like a little old lady and looks you know, cute like and whatever. And, <laughs> and then they meet me. And then, you know, younger, I'm, I'm 65, so I'm 21 years younger than Floyd. I'm mm -hmm. 10, so I'm not short. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm me. And I'm right. <laughs> never, ever am I not Adrian. I don't mm -hmm. care who I'm talking to. And my dad taught me that. You have to apologize for anything. You have to change your ways or anything. You can speak. You can speak any way you like. You know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, they're always kind of like, "Oh, oh my God, oh my God, that's his wife." <laughs> and so I love that. I, I, I think that's <laughs> fun. I, I, I have a lot of fun. Bobby yeah. Like that. So it works out. Yeah. Something because when I met you all in New Orleans. Um, I said I'm I'm such a horrible millennial because um because it was at Essence Festival like nobody knew who he was they were coming to see the movie but like nobody yeah, knew that they didn't, they didn't know yeah I'm like that's Floyd Norman so I got to talk to him because nobody else was around to like be like ah this is Floyd no, that Norman. was kind of sad but they also weren't watching the Maya Angelou documentary which came on hmm. just before before our movie started, they showed the Maya Angelou and there wasn't a crowd for that either. And I'm thinking, what's up with these black people? And they were actually down the way at the other, I think there was like a Will Smith movie that was on. Oh yeah, I think there I was a, Then there was a line for that, but mm -hmm. nobody was watching the Maya Angelou. And I'm thinking, that's why we don't know anything. That's why. Here's yeah. a chance for you to learn about this, this amazing woman with a, with a life that is worth knowing more about. Right. But you choose instead, not that anything wrong with Will Smith, I love Will Smith, but, <laughs> but you choose to go see that yeah. instead of learning something, you know. Mm -hmm. So when Floyd's came on, we knew it wasn't going to be a big crowd. So, you know, it wasn't something, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I personally benefited and I took well, a selfie with him, but because I'm a horrible millennial, it's blurry. <laughs> so okay. I'm, just like... I'm sorry about that, but we did have fun. I must say, I did enjoy being in, in uh, I've been in New Orleans since my first husband and I, we went there about a year or so after we got married and, and uh, a fascinating city. So it was mm -hmm. fun. It was my 60th birthday, by the nice. way. I had my 60th birthday that day. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people who brought us there was the Bentonville Film Festival. That's the mm -hmm. reason why our movie was at the Essence Festival because of the Bentonville folks um, started by Gina Davis. And that Arkansas? And just great people. Yeah, in Arkansas. And we were mm -hmm. there earlier. We had been to Bentonville no, the year before. Mm -hmm. So that's why we were there. And mm -hmm. uh, that was an amazing time. But I wish more people had come to see it. But, you know, we were like, hey, you know, whatever. Yeah. And people, and now they, they know him even more. I mean, as each year goes by, more and more people know who Floyd is. And so his his whole world just kind of expands. And unfortunately, that includes me <laughs> to a certain extent, which is just not my thing. But um, but he loves it, so I don't mind. So. But, Understandable. So, um. I feel like you've told a lot of stories, but what is a story that you've never gotten to talk about? Like something maybe people wouldn't think to ask or maybe an interesting thing about you or an interesting story. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many stories. I mean, since I, since Floyd and I and the documentary, we've, our, our lives have, have just been the people that we've met, the things we've done, places we've mm -hmm. gone. Um, again, oh, I do have a story. Um, this one of my. Uh, this is a story that's very heartfelt. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was young, I would obviously watch the wonderful world of Disney, 
mm-hmm. and um, as with everyone in America, and I, you know, Uncle Walt and all that sort of thing. And and I remember as a kid, I kept thinking, one day I'm going to grow up, I'm going to go work for Walt Disney, I'm going to be an artist for Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then and then he died. He died when I was ten years old, mm-hmm. and we were devastated because he was like family. I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard to explain to people today. The world was much smaller then. Yeah. But, but when Walt died, it was like, what? Wait a minute. No. What are we going to do? Where's Walt? You know. Anyway. So fast forward years later, and uh, I will I will start the story this way. Uh, Floyd was asked to be in a documentary. I mean, I'm looking at the poster. A documentary called you know, Walt the Man Behind the Mint. Diane mm-hmm. Disney had contacted uh, Diane Disney. Oh, I got that DVD. <laughs> yes. And she had contacted Floyd and asked him if he would come on and talk about um, his Spike Lee little bit that he had he had made a comment in an interview that uh, Spike Lee had called um, Walt Disney a, a racist, whatever, so and so. And Floyd had countered it in another interview by saying that you know he wasn't he, he wasn't a racist and you didn't know him, I did. So mm-hmm. you know how you can call somebody something and you don't even know him? You know you're going by you know whatever he's. I did know him. And so mm-hmm. Diane said, well, would you be willing to say that on camera in the documentary? So I said, sure. So anyway, so we go. And um, and I meet Diane Disney Miller, who was the most amazing woman. And uh, I'm honored I could, could call her a friend. And, and um, so we were sitting out there and we literally just met her. So both Floyd and I were nervous, like, oh, my God, this is Walt's daughter. And he never met her before because mm-hmm. he just worked there. He never was like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And. So she was there with her son and her daughter, one of her sons and one of her daughters. And she said to Floyd, she said, so tell me how the artists are being treated at Disney right now. And this was in 1999. Mm-hmm. And this was not a good time for animation. Um, it was the dark times and thinking about, you know, shutting stuff down, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, what have you. But Floyd felt like he was still working there and he felt like he was going to be the diplomat, which he is always. Floyd is such a nice person. He said, well, you know, it's, everything's fine. Everything's good. Everything's good. And he had to go get makeup on. He says, well, okay, get your makeup on. And uh, she just looked at him like, okay, you know, whatever. (laughs) So then he goes into the back and we're sitting in these three director's chairs. And it's Diane and her two kids who are my age or Mm -hmm. younger. And so Diane turns to me with the same (laughs) Walt look and very, um, very determined and uh, very, she looks at me and says, no, tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. How are the artists being treated? So I sat there and I said, "Well, what do I do now? I just met Diane Disney. So do I? Do I? Do I stand with my husband and say, no, everything is fine, or mm-hmm. do I tell her the truth?" Mm-hmm. But I had a split second to think about it. And I said, "Well, they treat the artists like shit." And she said, "And she said, I know it. I know it. You know." <laughs> And she had this righteous anger. She says, oh, my father would never have done that. You know, that's not what he wanted for his artist. And that's when the, the wall was dropped, the veil was dropped, and never again, she, she and I, the three, me and her and Floyd and the, the kids, just an amazing woman. So fast forward to Floyd working on the museum, the Walt Disney Family Museum, because she wanted mm-hmm. him to be a part of that and help them design certain exhibits and stuff. So he got to go and work with her and become mm-hmm. closer and uh and she would invite us up to their house and whatever and stuff and so she uh, finds out well the museum is open i want you guys to come to the opening and we're thinking oh of course because floyd worked on it and mm-hmm. i said how well, should we dress oh you know just just it'll be like a, you know like a cocktail just something nice and it'll be mm-hmm. like, it's all gathering you know family whatever 
And so we go up there. The museum is beautiful, fantastic, 10 floor, I mean, however many, 10 exhibits and just amazing mm -hmm. exhibition. And she says, well, when you're done with that, go out from the back, because it's on the Presidio, and just follow, and there's going to be, we're going to have the party out there, so we're going to have whatever. And again, we're thinking family, whatever. So we, we finish, we go out, and there's this tent. It is a tent. <laughs> and there's an orchestra playing. And there were people in tuxedos and walking in. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I dressed Floyd and myself, and, and we were presentable. Mm -hmm. So we get in there. Everybody's there. It's like dignitaries in San Francisco, people from the film community, people from Bob Iger's there. I mean, everybody's there, mm -hmm. you know. And we're like, oh, my God, okay. Okay, okay, we're cool. This is good. And so we go to the table, like, this is your table number. So we go, and I'm saying, oh, number 12. I remember the number, number 12. I said, well, that's probably in the back somewhere, which is fine with me because this is more than I thought this was going to be. So we're in the cocktail tent, and we're going for the big event. And again, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> As we pass the cocktail tent, we're in the main tent, which is like a ballroom tent. And there's flowers, and there's an orchestra playing. So we come in there and then I see that I see that our table is right next to so Diane's table was here and we're like kind of next to that table. Mm -hmm. Sitting at our table was her son. One of her sons was at our table. And a lot of people that I'm I'm not gonna do name dropping. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there and I my food and I'm looking around at everybody that's in this room, the people whose names I've heard of and and whatever, and I said to myself, if someone had told me when I was a little girl that I would grow up and get to do what I've always wanted to do, mm -hmm. but more than that, that I would be sitting in this kind of environment with Walt Disney's daughter, mm -hmm. if someone had told me that, a little black girl in Omaha, I would not have believed it. And I started to cry, mm -hmm. you know, not gushing, mm -hmm. but just a little bit. And, and, um, then I, I wanted to go, after it was over, I wanted to go and and, uh, and tell her thank you, but she was surrounded by everybody. Everybody was, was around her. Yeah. And, and and I saw Ron, her husband, her her late husband, Ron Miller, whom I, I loved Ron as well. Mm -hmm. And I said to Ron, I said, Ron, thank you so much for inviting me to Floyd. This was a beyond, you know, whatever. He says, what are you talking about? Your family. And then I started crying again. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> and uh, that, that was one of those, those moments um, that I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. but, but, but that moment um, was something I never expected. And, and Diane was, uh, she was her dad. She had a way of doing her eyebrow, just like Walt. Mm -hmm. and, and Floyd always tells me, you didn't meet Walt, but you met Diane. And that's like meeting Walt. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people who say, well, Walt was this racist, you know, whatever. I say, you know what? I've met his daughter. I've met his, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I've seen the evidence of the people that knew him. And what you think he is, is not what he was. Mm -hmm. And and he did things. He had his own way of doing things. And he, you know, some people kind of tricked him up. And he had his own feelings. He's a Midwesterner. But this, mm -hmm. this, this, this racist you know, whatever, and woman doesn't like women, that's none of that was, that wasn't him. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't. And I can say that 
his daughter wouldn't be who she was if he was like that. His grandkids wouldn't be who they are if mm -hmm. that's who he was. You know, I don't get evidence of any of that from anything that I've ever been around for his, his family or things that Floyd's told me. So mm -hmm. I, I wish I could have met him. Oh my God, I, would, I wish I could have met him. But, but, but again, as a little girl, a little black girl in mm -hmm. Omaha, Alaska, you know, it's just, who, who knew? I sure didn't know. And then the second part of that, because the other thing that Floyd is, and he's in the Motion Picture Academy, he's a member mm -hmm. of the Academy. And I've been a movie fan since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I saw my first Oscars when I was six years old. My mother said I could watch it. I don't even remember what was on because I don't even know these movies, but I was just fascinated <laughs> by the whole thing. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, one day I'm gonna go to the Oscars. I don't know how. I mean, I'm not gonna be an actress. I don't know anything about the movies. I'm six years old, you know. And then flash, you know, fast forward. And I, I get to go to my first Oscars in 2013 after Floyd had become a member. Mm -hmm. Never forget, because uh, I made it the whole big deal with my family and friends, and we all went shopping for my dress. And then, mm -hmm. and the moment we were on the red carpet, I'll never forget both Floyd and I. And we're looking at each other like, can you believe this? We're walking on that red carpet. But here's the problem. We got there too early and there was security guard telling us, <laughs> hurry up, move, move, move through. And Floyd, and Floyd said, no. And he stood, says, I've waited my whole life to stand here. So mm -hmm. Floyd stood there and he folded his arms <laughs> and he was waving up to the people in the stands like, hi, and they waved back. They don't know who he is. <laughs> but, but, but for us, it was like, no, dude, little, little security guard, no. Mm -hmm. I waited too long. And I'm not moving. And we stay there. So that was one of those, that, that second kind of a moment where you think, mm -hmm. where, you're, where you don't know where your life is going to go. And then, and then here you are, you know. Yes. And those are two things that I, I, I love the movies and I never thought I'd ever be in a community that, that has all that stuff in it. I wasn't trying to be. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to work for Disney. And here I am, you know. And uh, so it wasn't a big goal, but it was a goal. So yeah. those are my two favorite kind of stories that kind of show you with your past in your mm -hmm. life and, 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 and who you meet and how things, how things work out. Yeah. So. so a couple more questions. Um, so you do photography. So how did you get into that? And what does that provide that's different from like drawing and illustration? Hmm. Well, the photography is interesting because I am, um, I started looking at photography books when I was a kid. I'll never forget I was little. And I saw a book called The Family of Man. Um, mm -hmm. Very, very famous photography book that I forget. I, I, have, I found a copy of it and I still have it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, what is this? And my dad, my dad said, well, that's photography. Someone takes a picture and says, well, takes a picture how? How does that work? And so my dad said, well, go and get some books about it. So even as a kid, I started getting books on photography because I was like, what is this? And how do you choose what to shoot? And how does that work? So I did a lot of history. I was reading about Steichen and Weston and, and Margaret Bourke White in the, in the 19th century and the, and the, 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 the brothers and the, the girl packs, the whole thing. But I couldn't afford a camera. I didn't own my first camera until I went to Japan. And it wasn't even a camera. I bought box cameras. Mm -hmm. And that's how I took pictures of everything that I saw in Japan. And then I, uh, so when the first digital camera came out, Floyd bought one for Christmas. It was so, so big. 
you only got like five pictures. Um, the, you know, the little card or whatever, the, the, it was so small you couldn't get whatever. And I was mm -hmm. like, And so what happened with the photography, I was at a restaurant called Elements Kitchen, which is one of our favorite restaurants, and they gave us some food, but they presented it so beautifully uh, that I was like, this is I can take a picture of it. And so I got my little power shot, whatever it was, and then I took a picture of these three blueberries on red, on a red, on red rose petals, and that was the beginning. And I kept doing it. We'd go eat lunch there every day at four o'clock, whatever, dinner, whatever. And that's what started. And O'Neill Shibas, who's the one who owned Elements, and he's my good friend, and he owns a restaurant now. We made a book for him of his food. And then he hired me to do his food pictures. And then I got, and I got more into it. And then I started taking pictures of everything because I love pictures. <laughs> I'm a portrait artist. I'm trying to take pictures of people's faces. And, and I just became, I got into Flickr and I, I got into the, the Flickr photography groups. Every time we would go into, we would meet with Flickr people. Back and then, that was a big thing. And mm -hmm. everyone had their cameras. I always only had the power shots. I never had a serious camera until years later. And I finally got a, I bought a Canon. And um, well, I used it. And then I gave it to my nephews and stuff. But but I just love, for me, it's like, it's like capturing life. And mm -hmm. I never studied photography. So I don't know all the ins and outs of stuff. But I'm an artist. And I have a good eye, mm -hmm. and I can just look at something, and I can see the art in it. I mean, I'm looking at it as if it's a painting. Yeah. And and, um, and it just feels good. I mean, I just love it. I'm looking around my house right now, and I'm looking at things that if I was going to photograph, and what how I would do it. And then I take it in Photoshop because I love Photoshop, and I just do a few little things here and there because usually I get what I want mm -hmm. to photograph. It. And now I'm photographing my 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 my, my grand nephews who are models. And during the pandemic, um, they kept modeling, but with this, the stylist, they said, well, look, we can't have you come into the studio. We'll give you guys the clothes, you photograph it, and you send us the pictures, and we'll use what we want to use. And so they said, well, all right, auntie, auntie got the, she's got the camera. So we would go out, and I photographed my nephews. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be a fashion photographer, so I got to do that with them. Nice. And they're very photogenic and very, very comfortable in front of the camera. And uh, so I love doing it. But for me, it's just another extension of art. And right now, after my brother passed away, I got a box of old pictures that he had that my sister had given him. And I've been going through everyone's pictures. And I began restoring them mm -hmm. and doing uh, it in Photoshop. And not just you know by rote, but I'm also looking at it as an artist. Yeah. So I'm leaving stuff in. So I don't want to take away the age and what it really is. But I'm enhancing it, fixing cracks, you know, doing here and there. And it just feels, um, it just feels good. Nice. But I never wanted to do it professionally, although I have done photo shoot. People have paid me to take pictures. So I've done, um, and I love photographing men in mm -hmm. particular. Um, because you love men. <laughs> I love men. I, have, I really have no problem saying that. It's like, but, I, but I find with women, most time women are like, oh my God, this is my bad side. I'm gonna mm -hmm. put makeup on, you know, my hair's not right. Oh my God, don't show this, you know. But the men are like, take the picture, man. I, <laughs> they don't care if their hair is whatever. They they don't care. Mm -hmm. And they let me they let me photograph them. I can tell them, sit down over there, you know, and uh, it's no big deal. They don't so for me it's 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 freedom for me to to do what I want to do. Yeah. You know, to play with the lighting or play with the setting because most men just don't care. 
and and there's a friend of mine. This picture that's behind me. I don't know if you can, can if you yeah. can see it. I'm gonna move my phone a little bit, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, that's okay. Anyway, that picture was what started me on the on my road of taking men's photographs. Mm -hmm. This is my friend, and I took this picture with a Canon. You see it? Yep. I took it with a Canon PowerShot 6. And he was in front of his mother's window in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, the light was right. And I hadn't seen him in like 20 years. He was my, my first love, so to speak. <laughs> I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I said, I'm going to take a picture. And it just felt right. He was my first muse. And Floyd mm -hmm. was there. Uh, no, he wasn't there. This is when I went home without him. But he knew about him. But mm -hmm. the picture just came out, and there was something about that that led me on. I wanted to do a book. I wanted a book called The Average, I mean, about black men, not mm -hmm. about celebrities and all that. I wanted to do a, pictures of people's fathers, brothers, mm -hmm. uncles, the guy who lives next door, you know, that they're to be celebrated as well. Mm -hmm. And so I began taking pictures of all kinds of guys, all ages, and I still have them. Maybe one day I'll have to, you know, put it all together, put it in a book. Yeah. Time, but 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 they should be celebrated you know yeah and um so that was what started that but that picture the picture that i just showed you is what started it all of, uh, nice. of josiah and his 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 dreads you know whatever he didn't have those the last time i saw him yeah he did but they're like 25 years of his hair of his locks growing and stuff so anyway but the photography that's something that's for fun i don't do it for to make money mm -hmm. because yeah. i want someone to tell me i don't like that fix it you should fix that. I don't like what you did with my nose. I don't like what you did with that. No, not anymore. I don't do that anymore. I, I can't. Mm -hmm. I have that on my job, and I don't want to deal with people telling me what to do outside of that. So so that's why I probably will never do portraits again mm -hmm. unless I just want to draw you. Yeah. Not because you're paying me. Because yeah. I'm not going to. I just don't care anymore. So. So my last question is... And this is apropos. If someone was producing a documentary about you, <laughs> what things would you want them to highlight uh, outside of your life in like illustration and art? Well, my life is a, has not been as happy as Floyd's. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I would find that, uh, matter of fact, one of the complaints that this one critic had about Floyd's documentary was that there was not enough pain, that Floyd hadn't experienced enough drama in his life. Mm -hmm. And they were like, wow, well, you know, where's the angst? I said, well, he did go through a divorce. Well, it's not enough. We need to see more. No, anyway. <laughs> so, so my life has a lot more angst. Mm -hmm. and, but I know that all of that is a buildup to who I am. Mm -hmm. So, And all of that feeds into what it is that I do and, and who I've become. So from my life story, I, I think it would be a good one if they, they do have to show my family. They do mm -hmm. have to show that part of my life, the pain, because that's all that's all a part of me. Mm -hmm. Some of it I won't talk about. There's some things that are I don't think is, anyone needs to know about that. Mm -hmm. But um, but there are moments that define you. I know my mother. Uh, I always tell people about my mom. This is interesting. My mother was like Job. I used to say, "Mom, you're like Job. Everything bad has happened to you. I don't know what is it with you." And my mother, my mother. Um, 
my, my grandparents were um, was a minister, and they, she had a pretty good life. Matter of fact, she had a, an allowance during the depression. She would yeah. take the kids to the, she take her friends to this to the to the movies. You know, mm -hmm. they can see the movie. So she had a pretty good life. And then my grandparents sent her to school. She went to um, University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And then she went to the Boston Conservatory of Music because she wanted to be a singer, an opera mm -hmm. singer. She wanted to be like Marian Anderson. That was her goal. And what happened was she met my father. Mm -hmm. My dad's band, jazz band, came to Omaha. And their, and their girl singer quit and needed a girl singer. And my, someone told my mom, you should go audition for this band. And she did without my, my grandparents knowing. And mm -hmm. she went and my father heard her sing and he hired her. Mm -hmm. And that, as they say, was that. And uh, she had heard Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald and she, she knew she wanted to sing jazz. Mm -hmm. and, uh, my grandfather was uh, such a gentleman, but he was very, very, very upset. And, uh, but then my father was a ladies man. Mm -hmm. His whole thing was, I got to get every woman that I meet. I don't know if that was what his whole thing was, but I think that was somewhere in the back of his mind that I must be with every woman that I meet. So my mother played hard to get because she was hard to get. She mm -hmm. had, she wasn't even dating. She, there wasn't something on her mind. Her whole thing was about whatever. And my dad got her and then he got her pregnant. So they got married mm -hmm. and um, had all of us, you know, had five kids. But because of that, my mother, her health, she was pregnant for five years straight. Mm -hmm. And um, she got, let me, see, let me let me get it all right. She got hit by a bus. She got oh. hit by lightning twice. Wow. She had a brain hemorrhage. She, then she lost her hearing. Then she got lupus. Mm -hmm. And I'm missing something else. But it was like a series of things that happened to my mother. And by the time... 1961 came. I was about six years old, and my dad pulled us all together and told us that that mom was going to was going to die within a year. The doctors had given her like a year to live with everything that was going on with her. And mm -hmm. uh, what happened was, of course, that the doctor died within the year, and my mother lived another 25 years. But my mother loved. She loved <laughs> talking about that. She said, "Oh, he's dead, but I'm I'm still here." But that affected me mm -hmm. because. I kept waiting for her to die. Mm. So she would be sleeping and I would go and check to make sure she was breathing, to make sure that she was, you know, she was awake. So that affected my childhood in a way. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a hypochondriac because of it. But I remember one event in particular when my father was overwhelmed. And this was after they had told him the news that she was going to die within the year. Mm -hmm. And he had lost his job. He was trying to work as a musician, but he worked in the daytime, worked at the bakery and and life was just not working. And I'll never forget, he put all five of us kids in the car and he drove us to Carter Lake, which is the famous, it's a lake in Omaha, Nebraska. And it was middle of the night. I remember because we got out, we had our pajamas on and he got us all out of the car and we were all standing at the edge of the lake. And mm -hmm. I could still feel the ground beneath my feet. It was very cool and slick and stuff. And, and daddy was kind of crying and then he, he changed his mind, obviously. I think he was going to kill us all mm -hmm. and himself. And then he said, get back in the car, get back in the car. And we got back in the car and we came home. Never talked about it again. He mm -hmm. might have said something to us, but I don't remember what he said. Mm -hmm. All I remember was the desperation and the pain. And I mm -hmm. remember being scared mm -hmm. and wondering 
what's going on. Mm-hmm. They got back in the car and we came back home. And I never forgot that. Mm-hmm. So my life was, uh, there was a lot of pain. Yeah. At the same time, there was a lot of joy. It was almost like the Wayne brothers said that, you know, humor kept them so they wouldn't think about not eating. That was yeah. my family. And my father was, was funny and he was funny and he would make food. And then there was the music and then there was art. And so with all the sadness, there was a good thing. And, and mm-hmm. loving my grandfather and then whatever. And, and uh, so it was a it was a balance. Yeah. But here's the thing about her is that she was her spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a real devout Christian, and I became a Christian at the time because of because of my mother, mm-hmm. and um, because I said, well, anybody who can believe and still after I went through that and still believe must be limited something there, mm-hmm. and so I, I believe because of her. Now I'm kind of we won't talk about my how I feel about, about religion, but mm-hmm. uh, mother, it was her rock. And uh, she was the, the she was such a good person. She she cared about everybody. You know she I miss her terribly. She died in '84, and mm-hmm. uh, it took me over. It took me a year, maybe two years, to finally really deal with that because mm-hmm. I was in California when she died. I didn't get a chance to see her. Yeah. And uh, so that devastated me. But she was amazing. And then my dad, interesting person. I love my father. But I have issues with him. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. But I wouldn't be who I am without the two of them. And I wouldn't be where I am without without them raising me how they did. I thank them for how they raised me. I, I, I would tell you I would tell you one small story that explains the weirdness of my family. <laughs> Is that my father, because of the music, he had to listen to everything. Everything was there was nothing we didn't listen to. He wanted us to listen to everything, the polka music to whatever. And he, he bought us this classical music kit where they had batons and it showed the, or, the orchestral arrangement of the brass and the horns. And we had to watch Leonard Bernstein's Young, young People's um, Concert every year. Whenever it came on TV, we had to sit and watch it. So we were indoctrinated into classical music and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then the Beatles came out and we were the right age for the Beatles. We were, we were kids, but man, we fell in love with the Beatles. Oh my God. And we were still living in South Omaha. We had moved to North Omaha, which is the black community. We mm-hmm. were living with everybody else. And we were, we had made guitars out of cardboard and old sticks. And we had, we had made the, the, the mop heads on our heads so we could have the Beatles hair and stuff. We're talking with English accents. We're little black kids talking with Liverpool accents in Omaha, Nebraska. And so we moved to North Omaha, all black people. And we're thinking that they're into the same thing we are because we're totally into the Beatles. And we're coming outside talking like Ringo, like Liverpool accent. And they're looking at us like, and, and then getting our butts kicked like you cannot believe. Chasing us home from school. What is wrong with you? They want to beat us up. And it was uh, traumatic because mm-hmm. we just figured that everybody did this. Mm-hmm. You found out that black people don't do <laughs> those things. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, in my family, my sister, my sister in particular was so annoyed by that that she didn't really like black people in the sense mm-hmm. that not that she, she liked them, but she felt like I can't play those games. Mm-hmm. I'm who I am. But with me, I liked black boys so much that I needed to learn how to assimilate so I could so I could be around black boys. I love black boys so much. 
And so I, I was probably more in tune with the black community and what they were doing and the customs than my my other part of my family were. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked the things that make us who we are. I mm-hmm. celebrate those things. And my family, they do too, but not quite the same way. They they mm-hmm. could do it and then move away. My, my brother, Derek, is a, is a musician in Omaha and he is such a fascinating person. I would recommend if you get a chance that I can give you a link to his YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. He has one of the biggest vinyl collections in the world and he talks about music and, and Derek plays everything. He plays mm-hmm. everything from jazz to to heavy metal, to emo, to it doesn't matter. Derek loves music. Mm-hmm. And that is my family. Derek is the encapsulation of my family. Yeah. But with me, the the things of black people, black music and all that, I probably embrace that more than anyone else in my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, house parties and listening to James Brown. We all love that. But for me, I just, to me, it was like, this is just the best. Mm-hmm. Black men, black women, <laughs> dancing, you know, the, the soul, the, the food. Because my family didn't do that. Mm-hmm. There was no family picnics, you know, cookouts. My dad did not cook out. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the black barbecue. Mm-hmm. We never did. I mean, I would go to some, but that was not the culture in my house. Mm-hmm. My house was, it was another world. Yeah. So sometimes I feel apart, you know, from what people, how they talk about what their lives were. And I say, well, that, that wasn't quite how my household was. Mm-hmm. My mom would have liked it that way because she was more traditional. Mm-hmm. My dad, he was in another world altogether. Mm-hmm. So if I had to make a movie, I would like to see that mm-hmm. because one of the things I don't like is when everyone assumes that all black people like the same thing. Yeah. All black people do the same thing or that all black people, that's not true. And mm-hmm. when I came to California, this is very important. When I came to California as an artist and I wanted to be an artist, I wanted to be a fine artist. I didn't know that you could be other things. I had no idea you could be an illustrator and you could be mm-hmm. whatever. So I was, I was, I volunteered at the, the Black Museum that's over there by USC. Mm-hmm. I, I forget what it's called now. And I volunteered, you know, trying to get next to people. And I brought my portfolio. And I'm, again, I'm not going to name names because I'm just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I na- I brought my portfolio to show some people who were on the board. They're all Black people. Mm-hmm. And some of them are quite well known. Mm-hmm. Or they relatives are well known. And the one lady said to me, she said, well, your art is not black enough. It's not black. What's, why is your, your art, your art is too happy. She said it was too happy. Because when I do pastels, I just draw what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about black history. I'm just drawing <laughs> whatever I want. And if I see a white face that I find fascinating, then I'm going to draw that. Here. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, it's not black enough. And it's too happy. And I was like, damn. You know, I said, well, okay. And so once I showed it to someone else, I showed it to another person behind there. And they, once again, everyone said my artwork was not black enough. Mm-hmm. And that, that bothered me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a black woman. I'm an artist. And this is the art that comes out of me. Yeah. And what more do you want from me? 
Right. You know, do I have to draw pain? Do I have to draw pain? I got to draw people with black people in chains. I got to draw people crying. And that's what you want me to do. But that's not how I feel. Mm -hmm. I've been there. Yes. But that's not what I'm trying to convey. And mm -hmm. that was a really bad experience for me. And it really hurt, hurt me. Mm -hmm. And it made me um, very angry about it. And so I discovered a couple of years later, I discovered the art of uh, Thomas Blackshear. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know he was black. And then I saw his work in a workbook mm -hmm. and he was an illustrator. And, and then someone said, oh, that's that's Thomas Blackshear. And I was like, oh my God, how does he do that? Can I do that? Mm -hmm. How do you get to do that? You know. And so that was the beginning of me understanding that I could be something other than a fine artist and I could do work for it. Because what Thomas Blackshear did is what I wanted to do. And my, mm -hmm. and my friend Drew Struzan, doing movie posters. That's what I want to do. But when they told me back then that I wouldn't I wouldn't make it because my art wasn't black enough and mm -hmm. that my art was too happy and that there was no seriousness and I needed to change what I was doing. And that, that really upset me. And yes. so I have some young artists that I know that they feel that they must do Afro sense, they must do black centric work. And I'm not gonna tell them not to, you gotta paint what you wanna paint by all mm -hmm. means. But the world is too big. There's too many people. Mm -hmm. Too many things for me to limit what I do. Mm -hmm. I should be able to, as an artist, paint, draw, sculpt, whatever in the hell I want to do. Mm -hmm. If you like it, you can buy it. If you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. I'll just keep it and I'll have it for myself. Right. But don't ever tell me what I should or shouldn't do. So that was a real thing, a real moment for me. Yeah. And uh, very disappointed in one artist that I met, as a young artist, I wanted to talk to her. And she came into the, the shop and I said, oh my God, Miss, I, I love your work and I would love to talk to you about you know, how you got started. She looked at me like, I don't have time for you. Mm -hmm. I don't even think she said hi to me now that I'm thinking about it. And she just kind of dismissed me mm -hmm. and she walked away. But I remember thinking to myself, if I ever make it big, I will never do what she just did to me. Mm -hmm. There was no reason for that. And because there's so few black people that do, especially black yeah. people, that do what she was doing, to walk away from me and to make me feel as if you're bothering me, you're in my eyesight, can you please move? Yeah. I, you don't do that to people. But maybe that day was a bad day for her. I always give mm -hmm. people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe if I asked her the next day, she would have been more open. Mm -hmm. I, but she sure wasn't open that day. That's all I know. She was not being very friendly. So I was like, when you asked me to do this, mm -hmm. my first inclination was to say no, because I don't mm -hmm. like But then I thought, she's asking me for a reason. <laughs> and maybe if something I'm saying today, maybe someone will hear that and it make them feel like maybe, you know, I can do this or yeah. try a little bit harder, then that's worth it. Yeah, And then my other advice, and you're probably going to ask me this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> but my other advice that I always say to young artists when they bring me their work or they show me or tell me about their work, and I always ask them, are you any good? And then they always say, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand that question. So no, are you any good? <laughs> if you don't think you're any good, why should I think you're any good? I mean, mm -hmm. it's about a confidence. You know, I mean, you might not be any good. Let's be honest, you might not be. But mm -hmm. at least you got to believe in yourself enough to say, you know what, I'm pretty good. Mm -hmm. and I want you to see what I do. You know, that makes me want to see what you do even more. Now, it might suck when I see it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but, you, but you believe in yourself enough that you're saying to me, yes, 
but I think I'm pretty good. And yeah. I'm take a look at what I got. And then I'll look at it. And then the second thing I say after that is I say that you also have to be willing to understand your what you can and cannot do. Yeah. Everybody's not the same. Everybody can't draw the same. So mm -hmm. if you do the best you can do and then you look at other stuff and you and yours is not like that and you want to do what that is, you mm -hmm. have to be able to say to yourself, maybe that's not what I'm going to do. Right. I should do this instead. You have to be self-aware enough to understand what you can and can't do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, again, I talk about my, my, my friend Drew Struzan. He's the artist who paints the movie posters that everybody sees, Star Wars, Indiana mm -hmm. Jones. And you look at Drew's work and you see it in real life, you're just like blown away, you know. And and a lot of people can't do that. Mm -hmm. He does it because he does it. But, but, but you have to be able to say, I want to be a movie poster, but my posters look like this. Mm -hmm. Look at him. You have to be willing to say, well, okay, yeah, I can't really do that. Okay, I'm going to try something over here because this is more. So I, I, I'm not good at painting animals. I hate painting animals. I hate it. I really do. I had to do it, you know, because I work for Disney. Right. It's not my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not good at it. I will be honest. I am not good at, at animals. I just like, man. <laughs> so you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. If you don't feel good about yourself, I don't know who else will. And yeah. the one thing I always knew, because coming up during the that period and with the black people, and it was a, it was not a, the best time for, I remember that line in Men in Black 3, says, it wasn't a good time for your people. I'm just saying, <laughs> well, this was not a good time for black people when I was coming up, but Mm -hmm. And there was racism all the time. I mean, I I got called a nigga when I was five years old and you know, came home and asked my mom, what's up with that? You know, why why, why was I, what is that? And, mm -hmm. and it was just one of those things. I mean, it was just life. But if I didn't know anything else about me, I knew I was a good artist. And mm -hmm. I remember when I got married and and um, the person that I married was not a nice person. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he left me by telling me that I was you know, fat and ugly and I would never find anyone as good as him. It's like, thank you so much, you know? And then he ran off with my best friend and they got mm -hmm. married and clearly they were meant to be because they, they, they remained married and they had kids. So clearly that was the person you're supposed to be with. It probably mm -hmm. would be better if we had never got married, but we did, what can I say, you know? But yeah. with all of what he said to me, which I believe unfortunately at the time because I had low self-esteem, but mm -hmm. the, I knew so I'm a good artist. You can't take that away from me. That was mm -hmm. always my talisman that I kept yeah. close to me. No matter how I felt about other things in my life, I knew I'm a good artist. And that was just a, I just knew it. And I yeah. still know it. I'm a good artist. I don't know. What do you want from me? I'm, it's what I do. Mm -hmm. you know? And I just, I took it this way and then I put it in the computer and I'll probably do it another way. Who knows? I don't mm -hmm. know. But, um, it's who I am. I am an artist. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I almost want to say, if I had to pick which thing that I am, how I look at myself, I would say, I would say I'm, I'm a woman mm -hmm. first, I'm an artist, and I'm black. Mm -hmm. And you can take that any way mm -hmm. that, that, that you want to. The art is, the art is it's my soul, mm -hmm. you know, and um, people ask me, would you teach? No, I don't teach you shit. I, mean, I don't mind 
No, really. I don't mind talking to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. You want to talk to me and ask me questions or whatever, that's cool. But teaching in front of a bunch of people, like you said, when you were doing it in, in Japan or Korea, man, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've done it, and that's not my personality. And yeah. I, uh, I'm fine one-on-one, -on -one, possibly two. I've done good <laughs> classes because I have, I, have, uh, um, uh, I have some people I had to teach how to paint a certain way mm -hmm. Live in Spain, and we had to do like a, a Zoom thing where I had to explain with mm -hmm. the interpreter how to paint a certain way. So I don't mind doing that, but being mm -hmm. a teacher, no. But ask me anything, then I'll <laughs> tell you how I did it. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. so one well, one more thing I'll mention because when you're talking about your mom earlier, I thought of this like Instagram post that I saw the other day, and it's like the power of black women. <laughs> so it says. This person on Twitter said, my mom, who is a black woman, had a patient tell her at 11 a.m. that a man was in the room telling them to come with him. And it's just the mom and the patient in the room. So so my mom's response was, you better tell him to come back at 7.30 when my shift is over. And why did the patient die at 7.35? <laughs> so it's like the Grim Reaper was coming to the man at 11 a.m. and she's like you better wait till my shift is over at 7 30 and he died at 7 35. oh my goodness oh my goodness wow so i thought of when you when the when the doctor died and your mom did well that was her favorite story you know he died now i'm still here you know? <laughs> it was like yeah i mean she lived another another 20 something years and he died but yeah. her perseverance was amazing and was amazing and and she was uh you know, it was funny, she lost her hearing. So I never heard my mother sing. And my dad, we always say that she had the most amazing, incredible voice. But mm -hmm. of course, we never got to hear her because, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when we would play our music, we would be playing a, on a record player, whatever. And we would have the bass would be playing. And my mom could hear the bass. Yeah. So she would be like, you know, what is that you're listening to? And so she would hear, we'd turn the bass up and she would be like, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I got that. Okay. You know, she could hear the, she could hear the beat, you know. Mm -hmm. But I always wish that she could have that I could have heard her sing if I always yeah. watched the show Fantasy Island. And so if I could go back in time, if I could go and hear my mother sing with mm -hmm. my dad's band, that would be something that I would give give anything to 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 see that, to see that. So, but uh, but but for me, my mother, I don't have a mentor. I don't have someone to look up to as an icon. I don't. I really. I never have. Um, mm -hmm. But if I had to pick someone that I would look to as someone that I admired and that I looked up to, it would be my mother, my mother mm -hmm. and my father, my grandfather, who was the epitome of, of, of men. He died mm -hmm. when I was 10, same year as Walt Disney. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my grandfather was just like, he was just the absolute best of men. Mm -hmm. And uh, Floyd reminds me of him, which is probably not the sexiest thing to say to someone. You remind me of my <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> and Floyd's like, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean that in the sense that Floyd's um, personality, his mm -hmm. gentility, his grace, his kindness, that was my grandfather. My grandfather was just absolutely wonderful. So I think that's why I have a, such a balanced view of men. I, I, I look on Instagram and I look at so many um, women, all women, but even with black women that are so angry. Mm -hmm. with, and they have reason to be, certainly. But at the same time, you know, we're all human beings first. Mm -hmm. And we're whatever else we are. Mm -hmm. And for everyone, whatever they've done, there's a reason why people do what they do. Yeah. And and you have to be willing to 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 get to the bottom of that if you really want to, to get to the bottom of why people feel how they do. 
I've counseled people, not because I'm a counselor, but I, I'm really good at listening. Mm-hmm. If someone asks me something, I don't look at them and say, well, you're a bad person. I can look at you. And, no, no, I'm like, okay, tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. I listen to it without judgment. What would you do? You killed somebody? Well, that's pretty, that's, that sucks. But why did you kill them? What was the mm-hmm. reason? Must have been a reason that you wanted to kill them. So that's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah. I'm willing to listen and understand the pain or yeah. understand the joy or understand whatever. So I would like to thank you for coming on my platform and allowing me to highlight you. Thanks. Okay. I thought that was uh, interesting. <laughs> and to everyone out there, I want you to like, so I know it's real. Comment and tell me how you feel. Subscribe to Seal the Deal and sign up for post notifications to show your zeal. And I'll see you in the next video. Peace.